It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Psy Tech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Hey, it's a geeky place, but a really good geeky place. That's like a good thing now. And this last month has been a geek fest for those who have any fascination with space. Sci-fi fans, people who are interested in the great beyond, or even people who are asking questions like, is there life beyond Earth? Are there alien civilizations? What causes gravity? These are things that we may find out from the Web Space Telescope. Joining me to give us an update on what we've learned in just a month, Jeff Zwierink. He's an astrophysicist and research scholar at Reasons to Believe. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Michelle. Looking forward to our conversation today. Me too, because I'm excited about it. Web, the Web Space Telescope stamp is actually a thing from the U.S. Post Office. And I'm wondering if all of the sales will go to the $10 billion price tag, because that would be a lot of stamps, my friend. And I don't think there's a tongue on earth that could endure that kind of licking. <laughs> anymore, they put the sticky straight on the back of the stamp. So all you got to do is just <laughs> straight out. So you don't have to lick them anymore. I think oh, my gosh. Am I just old school? Did I just show my age? <laughs> <laughs> or how long it's been since I've sent a letter. Ouch. <laughs> I don't know that you can send enough letters to, to pay off the James Webb Space Telescope. <laughs> but in, in the telescope's defense, that 10 billion, 9.7, if I'm correct, is over its entire lifetime there estimating. So I don't know. We'll see if it's worth it. But we may now know in just one month's time, it is pretty freaking amazing. A recent poll online actually found that three in five Americans believe the Webb telescope has been a good investment. Only about 13% think, okay, couldn't we have spent money on something else? What say you? Do you think it was a good, a good, we'll just get to that right off. Do you think it was a good investment? Look at what we're seeing. These are beautiful. I think when you look at it from will it give us science, the, or is the science worth the investment? I think it is. When you start talking $10 billion and you ask what else could you do with that, $10 billion is a lot of money. But what we get in terms of understanding of the cosmos is phenomenal from this. And the reality of it is when you look through the history of science, at least over the last hundred or so years, most of the big discoveries have not been by, oh, let's just crank in and do some more calculations. It's been, we built new instruments that allow us to see things we've never seen before. And that's exactly what the James Webb Space Telescope is doing. It's allowing us to see things that we've never seen before. So some of the things that we've seen, we found Arendelle, believe it or not, for those of you who are Lord of the Rings fan, but it's actually Star that, that they found, that they have named Arendelle. That in itself is amazing because apparently we were only able to see it because of gravitational lensing. Yeah, there's a lot of things that... Oh, and forgive me. they I was wrong in that. I think Hubble found it first, but we're able to see it in more extraordinary detail. 
correct? Yeah, that, that's often what will happen is okay. that another telescope will find it, but then you'll build the, the next telescope that has better resolution. And just for scale, Hubble, I remember when it was launched back, it was supposed to be late 90s, early 2000s, but when it was launched, even with the bad optics that it had originally, it was by far the best telescope we had. And it's got, I think it's a 1.7 meter mirror, uh, which wow. 1.7 meters, like five feet or so, something right. in that range. The James Webb is close to 10 meter diameter mirror. So it's just a huge mirror compared to that. That's the size of a room. And it's just going to be able to see more detail, see have better resolution. It's got five, five times the resolution, can collect 100 times more light or 25 times more light. We'll just be able to get details that though we might have seen the object was there, this will actually give us a picture of what the object looks like. Okay. Very cool. What we're saying here is that we're able to see things either we haven't seen before or things in more detail so we can learn so much more. So that is why you can expect today as you're watching, listening, or reading to hear things that you may not have ever known about space and maybe even the deeper story that we always look for, the God story. Okay, they found a donut in space. At least that's what one, <laughs> one observer called it, a delicious space donut. It's a cartwheel galaxy. That is a pretty spectacular image of a galaxy. It's not that we haven't seen galaxies like this or even necessarily seen this galaxy, but look at the level of detail of what we're seeing. We're seeing the filaments that stretch across from the central part of the galaxy out to the outer part of the galaxy. We're seeing the blues and the reds, the colors. All of that gives us information about what's going on in the galaxy. And one of the projects I was doing when I was in graduate school or late undergraduate was running simulations where galaxies collide with one another and they produce various structures depending on the trajectories and the parameters. With the more detail we can see like that, the more information we can get or the better we can make our simulations. Because you notice those two little galaxies that are sitting off to the side, it may very well be that one of those has passed through the center of that larger galaxy and that's what's causing all of this structure. And so that sort of detail, the colors and the shapes and the structures, the more we can measure that with our telescopes, the more we can get an accurate picture of what really went on to produce this phenomenal looking object. Yeah, it's it really does look like donut. There's this white swirl in the center and this dusting of illumination that kind of pouring and swirling out of it. It is absolutely astounding that it's just out there floating in the black of space. And there it is. Is there anything that we have learned that we know now that we didn't know a month ago? One, one of the fascinating discoveries is, again, the web can see further away, can see things that we knew were there, but in greater detail. There, there's this kind of cool phenomenon that, especially for very distant objects, if there's a large gravitational mass between us and the more distant object, that gravitational mass in the front will actually bend the light rays from the more distant object and it will make it brighter so we can see things that are actually farther away. And so that's the gravitational lensing that you were talking about. We were, the web was able to image a couple of galaxies that were formed within the roughly the first billion years of the universe. So 
better better than 12 almost 13 billion years ago these things were formed we're just now seeing the light from them and we're actually have found a galaxy that has almost no metals in it which is really fascinating so just a little bit of terminology astronomers have three classes of materials there's hydrogen that's one class of material there's helium that's one class of material and then everything else is a metal oxygen, carbonite, all that sort of stuff that we talk about. To an astronomer, that's a metal. And so we found this galaxy that really only has hydrogen and helium in it. And that's fascinating because there's virtually no object in the universe that looks like that now. So we're getting back to seeing things very shortly after <clears throat> the Big Bang where we can actually see the object and see that it has very little metals in it. Some things we are seeing continuously in the universe is continuity and order. And how do we know that for the average person who's listening today? One of the things, so our big picture of how the universe works is that in the earliest moments, the universe was in this very hot, dense state, call it Big Bang. It's expanding out, cooling as it expands. And as it cools, it goes from these enormous temperatures, just unfathomable temperatures and densities down to uh, more normal temperatures over a long okay. period of time. And there's a period after about three or four minutes, one to two, four minutes where uh, it's hot enough that hydrogen can fuse into helium. And then after that, not a lot happens until stars and galaxies form, maybe a couple hundred million to a billion years after the universe that that initial hot dense state and what we can do is we can actually look the farther back we look the closer in time we look to the big bang event and what we find is that there's a prediction of how the universe cools and we find that as we look further back in time the universe gets hotter and hotter so it's cooling down just the way we would expect it would so it's orderly there's a regularity to it and that's what's so fascinating about this metal poor galaxy is that normally as we're looking back further and further we can say given these two or three parameters we can tell exactly what the metallicity is going to be this one is so much <clears throat> lower so we're starting to see that era where there's this there's such a high degree of uniformity or regularity when this weird thing comes onto the place that tells us ooh, something really interesting is happening there if everything were just hodgepodge, we just look and say, oh, that's cool, but it doesn't tell us anything. We look and see this weird thing, and it says, ah, there's something really fascinating going on here because of how regular and orderly the universe is. It does beg that question. If if we are just a happenstance, just a weird happening in the universe, how is there? Where does this order come from? And it does point to a God question that must be asked if you are a serious scientist, in it my really opinion. Is. The foundation of science, or one of the foundational elements of science, is that the universe behaves the same way all the time. So the measure, the stuff that I did yesterday I can expect the universe to behave the same way today and it will do the same thing tomorrow. And so when I look and I find that I drop a ball and it drops the same way today and yesterday and tomorrow, that says, all right, that now that's a, a sign of the orderliness. 
And we found that when we looked throughout the cosmos with a relatively small set of mathematical relations that describe these fundamental forces that exist in the universe, we can explain almost every phenomenon in the universe. There's this order and regularity, and it's a foundation of the way science works. And so any worldview which one says, hey, we've got an explanation for things, has to explain why there's that orderliness and regularity. And the Judeo-Christian worldview does that tremendously because that's ultimately anchored in the immutability of God, that he is an orderly, regular, secure, unchanging God. And so we expect to see that when we look at creation. And lo and behold, that is what we see when we look at this amazing universe. Okay, let me challenge that. Garth Lingfield, Illingworth, if I remember his name, an astronomer from the University of California at Santa Cruz. And he was instrumental in dreaming up the Webb telescope back in the 1980s. But he says that we can only see with these telescopes part of the universe, the part that's within the light travel time from us. So if there's no light, you can't see it basically, in layman's or Michelle everyday term. So if there's no light, we can't see it. We can only see what was what is in the light travel time. And thus, he says, the universe absolutely could be infinite. So my question is, if the universe is indeed in his thoughts, infinite, then isn't there infinite possibilities and infinite things that could happen? The chances of life on earth balanced the way it is, the diversity, all of these things are so infinitely impossible numerically. But if the universe is infinite in its size, isn't it possible? So it is. And there's a lot to unpack there because there's a couple of assumptions that are built in there. One, I find it fascinating just in terms of talking about the orderly and regularness is that the reason why we're even thinking the universe might be infinite is because of how orderly and regular it is. So even if it is infinite, you still have to explain the orderliness and regularity of it. Just can't get away from it. Yeah, you can't get away from it. Okay. But let's just say it, it is true that further than we look. So the fact that the universe is only 14 billion years old I mean there's a limit to how far out we can see. Now, how do we know that? Our inflationary big bang cosmology, we think the universe is much larger than that. And the question is okay. how much larger? So the idea right. that there's stuff out there that we can't see is a very well-founded idea, whether it's infinite or not, it's far larger than what we can see. But just because so so we can tell that it's larger than what we see. But we run into some difficulties when we start to say, okay, we can just explain everything because there's an infinite sample size. We don't know what it looks like outside. It may be just it may be just a whole much more of the same stuff. It may be incredibly inhospitable to life outside of us. We just don't know because we can't ever measure it. And so we need to be careful about saying that's infinite in size. Therefore, life is just one of the expected things. There's some there are some really big philosophical difficulties because we don't know what it actually looks like outside. And we will never be able to measure what it looks like outside of our observable universe by definition. Do How do we know that there is an end to the universe, though, or even a beginning? Because if we're talking about infinite, that means it always has been, it always will be. Isn't that what it alludes to? That 
need to be a little careful because just you can have something that is infinite in size, but hasn't existed forever. And that's really the view people have when they're looking at the universe began to exist about 14 billion years ago, but it is infinite in extent. So it didn't grow to become infinite. It just when it in its foundation, it was infinite in size. And so that's the idea that's out there. And these are the weird things you have to worry about and pay attention to when you talk about infinities, because something that's finite can never grow to become infinite. And something that is infinite can never be subdivided into a finite number of finite groups. If the universe is truly spatially infinite, then it was that way since its inception from the beginning of time. And as you can guess here, we're now getting into, did the universe really have a beginning? There's a whole lot of interesting theological and philosophical questions, but these are also interesting questions that science can weigh in on at some level. But Great. the evidence really does point to there being a beginning to our universe. Okay, so I want to know uh, what evidence we have that there is a beginning. And secondly, when we talk about what's infinite, there's infinite possibilities. Not if there is continuous order in the universe, not if there are laws that that don't change based on how far away from the earth you get. Am I correct? So evidence that points to a beginning, one of those evidences that points to a beginning is that the further back in time we look, the less metals there are in the universe. In our picture, yeah. the more all the metals are formed within the hearts of stars. And so the more stars have formed and burned and blown up, the more metals there are going to be in the universe. So as we look further and further back in time, we see less and less metals, which is an indication that we're moving back towards the beginning of time. We look at the expansion rate and the expansion history of the universe all points to an era where all of the stuff we see in the universe was compressed into a very small region of space. These are things that point towards a beginning of time that the universe is about 14 billion years old. And there are numbers of other evidences. We can look at white dwarfs. They cool down a certain way. And the oldest white dwarfs indicate that the universe is about 14 billion years old. So there's a lot of evidence pointing towards there being a beginning to our universe. And boom, that plays to my second point, the continuity that we see in the universe, no matter how far you get out, no matter what new, weird, and awesome things you find. In fact, I had read once that there is a planet that is made enti that's made almost entirely of diamonds. Woo! A girl's best friend there. There's some weird and very cool things in the universe, but yet there is continuity. Yes, and in fact, it's the continuity that allows us to say this looks odd. Again, if everything were just if everything was just a hodgepodge, when you came across a planet that was made entirely of diamond, you'd say, "Oh, that's just part of the hodgepodge." But when we look, we find planets that are made of iron. We find planets that are made of gases. We find planets like that are rocky, and then it, you find this one that's entirely of carbon, and it's made this way. It's oh, that looks weird. The only way it looks weird is because of how orderly and regular things are. And that's a very rare event and an unusual thing. If things are a hodgepodge, everything's unusual. It's only the order and regularity that's unusual. Awesome point. Now, if you find me a planet made of chocolate, I'll be in heaven. Nonetheless, there is a, that order in the universe really does point to the God story. As you said, what worldview really explains that with within 
logic and, and reason. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I wanted to tie that into a really big story that points to just how we have elevated science to God. Science is God. Science is the answer. So, and we need to listen to these technocrats, to these experts, because they will show us what to do in any given situation using science. Until... Well, we realize that man is not only fallible, but he has a weird and warped sense of humor. What am I talking about? I'm going to show an image. And if you are anywhere near a computer, you can go to MyMichelleLive.com and see it. Boom. What is that? It looks as though it's a beautiful picture from the Webb Telescope. A celebrated physicist, Director France's Alternative Energies and Atomic Energy Commission, shared this image. He said it was a picture of Proxima Centauri, the nearest star to the sun, located 4.2 light years away from us. And it was taken by the James Webb Telescope. So everyone's looking at it and we're investigating. What can we learn from this sun? Thank you. Oh, great scientist, elevated one for giving us insight into this until... Later in the week, he tweeted, oops, sorry, <laughs> my bad, just kidding. This is a piece of Spanish sausage known as chorizo said <laughs> on a black background. This is no, it is a joke, but it's no joke that it happened. <laughs> it is, and it's funny, one, because the level of detail we see coming out of the James Webb makes things look so real, things that are just beyond our ability to comprehend what they look like and they give us this level of detail that it's you, know, you look at that picture and i've seen other images of our sun in certain wavelengths and it looks like that and so <laughs> it's not a stretch to say okay you got a scientist saying this is a picture of proxima centauri therefore it's a picture of proxima centauri and my only hesitation would have been i know how hard it is to map out the structure of a star we've only done it for a couple outside of the sun and even then are very blobby the fact that we get this level of resolution would strike me as a little odd but i can look i can see why you'd look at that and say yeah that's a reasonable picture of a star especially when you got a pretty prominent scientist saying that's what it is boom so. and then if you have media picking it up and spreading it and you have other scientists that are saying okay let's study this and this is what i believe suddenly this piece of chorizo becomes reality and that's something that should make everyone go oh m G. The scientist who put this up said, let's learn to be weary of the arguments from positions of authority as much as the spontaneous eloquence of certain images. So according to co contemporary cosmo cosmology, no object related to Spanish charcuterie exists anywhere other than Earth, just to let you know. And there's some things to unpack in that, by the way. First of all, yeah, you got to be weary of arguments. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None are perfect. No, none are righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. That means there are no elevated, God-like, all-knowing people who have more ability to tell you how to run your life than you do. 
And we need to have a reliance on truth, a reliance on God, and a healthy skepticism of what we're being told or led to believe. And secondly, you can't find chorizo anywhere out there in the universe, and you're not going to find, because we know there's order, unfortunately, a planet made of chocolate. That speaks to the uniqueness of Earth. And to my next question of our guest, Jeff Zwierink from Reasons to Believe, one of the one of the reasons for Webb is to see, are there alien civilizations? Is there life beyond Earth? Is there sentient beings? What that do you think we'll find? We're starting to find planets outside our solar system. We found thousands of them already. The challenge is that though we can find the planet, it's very difficult to see, to get information about what the planet looks like, what its temperature, what its atmosphere looks like. Does it have liquid water on it? And so Webb is going to be able to answer more of those questions, at least in certain instances. So it will give us a lot of data that weighs in on that. But this is the idea of, is there life out there? As I've looked at it is one of those questions that I think has fascinated humanity since the dawn of time. I'm pretty sure Adam and Eve may have been arguing in the Garden of Eden <laughs> about whether God created life somewhere else in the universe. It's just that interesting of a question. But often the way that question is pitched is that if we find life out there, that's a sign that naturalism is correct and all the world religions have to rewrite themselves. When you look at the history of Christian thought, Christians have thought about there being life out on other planets for centuries, if not millennia. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest apologists of the 20th century, was talking about life on other planets in his space trilogy. Christians of Galileo and Kepler, both devout Christians. One thought there was only life on Earth. The other one thought there was life scattered throughout the universe, that God had created that life throughout the universe. So this is not a question that is a threat to Christianity. In fact, Christianity welcomes that discussion because what we found is everywhere where we've looked, every advance, every scientific discovery we've made on Earth, as we've understood it, has pointed back towards God as the creator. If we find life out in the universe, people are going to take it as evidence against Christianity. But as we investigate, it will ultimately point towards God as creator. Because of because that. Everything in this creation does exactly that. Because of the continuity of the universe and the continuity of scripture, which points to things that are well beyond the scientific discovery of the time of its authorship. When we talk about life, wouldn't you argue that there is life all over the universe, but what kind of life that is, is important to the discussion. There's also the fact that we have found, we have exponentially found more and more exoplanets, but at this point, we have not found anything that would support life like we know it on planet Earth. And the challenge in that is that as of right now with the web, occasionally we could do that, but most of our technology doesn't allow us to find Earth-like planets. Kepler is the closest instrument that could do that. So our solar system is hard to find, but what we have found is a whole lot of ways to have planets that are not habitable or able to host life. And so, again, it's it's not that science has ruled out that a planet like Earth exists. It's that as we have studied and learned things, we find that Earth is pretty unique in its capacity or it's unusual in its capacity to support life. And that, again, points towards a purpose or a design behind the Earth. So 
I'm excited about what Webb will bring into the discussion of extrasolar planets because it will just give us more data. And one of the foundational life-changing ways, recognitions, was if God is who he says he is, the more we study about science, the more it's going to point towards the truth of who he is. And I used to be fearful of new discoveries because maybe this is the discovery that's going to show Christianity wrong. But if God is who he says he is, that discovery is never going to happen. And so every new discovery that comes in ultimately gives me a better picture or helps me understand his revelation better, which allows me to relate to him more fully. And so I'm excited about what James Webb's going to bring. It's going to be up in the sky for a long time, give us lots of things. Who knows what it's going to discover? That's the cool thing about new instruments is that we're going to find new stuff. And I'm excited about what we're going to find. Yeah. And I look at it as I want to know that what I believe is true. And uh, just to play off of what you said, if I'm wrong, then I want to know I'm wrong. We like to camp out on our own beliefs and we we dig our feet in and we insult people on social media and we cancel friends over it. But I want I want to know, bring on the challenges. Inevitably, though, when you get to a certain point of life and a certain point of development in your search to say, okay, let's challenge this, it what you believe when you look at a biblical worldview, it plays out again and again in absolutely every area of life that brings love, that brings hope, that brings peace, that brings balance when applied correctly. Boom. So much so that it, you get to the point of a Jeff Zwierink and say, yeah, I'm excited. Bring it on. The more I learn, the more I learn about God. He reveals himself through his creation. And now we're seeing that his creation in this century, we've been able to, and I guess in the last couple of centuries, we've been able to see more and more of how vast his creation is, how awesome his creation is. We could stand and look at through the other side of the telescope and go, whoa, and realize how awesome our God is. Our God is an awesome God. The order, the beauty, and my final question, purpose. You mentioned that there seems to be a purpose. We've talked on this program before about purpose in all of the rest of the universe that seems to be needed to support this crazy, awesome thing that we have here on earth. And there seems to be purpose for it, as we can see, because of its of where man fits in the history of the creation of the universe, the time period that we're in with lushness, and diversity and options for foods and beauty, all of these amazing nuances seem to point to that order. That's what I want to talk about because that, my friend, is the God story. It really is. When we look at this universe, we see evidence that it is designed and it has a purpose that we are meant to be here. We're not just some accident that has happened in this purposeless, meaningless universe. In fact, 
in order to do science, you actually have to start from that foundation. The What got science going, at least in the West, was this idea that we're out studying the orderliness, the regularity, and the, the purpose that God had put into creation. So we were seeking to understand him better. And we the scientific enterprise has gotten so successful that we've lost track of where the roots came. But one of the things that I find fascinating about science is that it's not just let's go out and make up ideas and everybody's ideas are equally good. It's no, we need to take our ideas and test them against reality. We are designed, meant to pursue the truth, to check whether what we want to believe actually aligns with reality, and then to believe that comes out of an orderly universe. I love your picture of the there, because I see this parallel to why we want Christianity to be true. You've got Paul talk, going out preaching the gospel, and people were just believing because he said, and he said, no, like the Bereans, because they didn't just take what I said. They didn't just believe me because I'm the Apostle Paul. They went and studied the scriptures and said, does this align with the scriptures? And we would not have had such a big problem with the chorizo if people had asked, does this align with reality? Ooh. Or did they actually understand what was going on? And as Christians, we want to do that. And quite honestly, people who aren't Christians ought to want Christianity to be true because that encourages us to pursue the truth, figure out what's really true and spread that rather than whatever just comes along that matches what I believe already. And almost uniquely among world faiths or religions or philosophies, Christianity has always, through through the lens of the Bible, encourage challenge. Test me, try me, prove me. Come, let us reason together. These are important scriptures that say God's not afraid of you saying, what about God? You see, even interwoven in the scripture, people saying, God, why are you doing this? And showing frustration and, and a lot of other faiths or constructed religions. How dare you challenge you know, the gods, right? And that's not what God wants. God wants a relationship. And that is evident, not only in, in the writings of the inspired word of God, the Bible, but also written across the universe. God's care. You see his creativity. You see his beauty. And that there is purpose in the universe. And if there's purpose in the universe, there's purpose to the universe. And if you're part of the universe, my friend, there's purpose to you. If you can find fault with the biblical worldview, hey, bring it on. We'll take it on. We'll take on those questions here on this show. But if you come to a place where you realize, wow, there's something to this, investigate don't just take my word for it. Investigate this God of the Bible and his great love for you that is written across the sky and find out what your purpose in the universe is. That is the God story. Jeff Zwierink is part of Reasons to Believe. Go, there's articles that you will just get lost in. Learn so much from. It'll challenge your thinking. And it will point you to the God of the Bible, who is our hope, our salvation, and my joy. Jeff, 
so good to hang out with you. I just love it. This was really good. And really the chorizo. You can't make that stuff up. You could, but who would think of it? I Only it a scientist. Funny, but uh, it's, uh, the ability to tell satire from reality is going to get increasingly important in society <laughs> just because of how fabulous our technology has become. But there I go. loved our conversation. Thanks for inviting me on. Today. Absolutely. God bless. And thank you. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. God bless. More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com.